Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Talking Sports with Evan. Appreciate you all um, listening and spending some time with me here tonight or today, whatever you're, whenever you're listening to this show on whatever platform you are. I do ask that you spend some time and uh, rate and review um, this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere else podcasts are found. I would greatly appreciate it. So. In this episode of Talking Sports with Evan, um, start out by talking with Matt Carroll, a site expert or site co-expert of reviewing the brew uh, from Fanside Network. He came on to talk um, some the Milwaukee Brewers and NL Central uh, and what to expect from the Brewers this season. Um, great conversation. Enjoyed it uh, a ton. Thank you to Matt for coming on and uh spending some moments with me um, for this interview, for the this podcast. And then after the interview with Matt, um, it had to be done. It, it, it sucked to have to do it, um, but it had to be done. I recapped the Packers' unfortunate NFC championship loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So hope you enjoyed the show. If you, uh, like I said, if you enjoy it, please review it, um, rate it, and let people know what you think. Share it on Facebook and Twitter and uh, help me grow the Talking Sports with Evan uh, platform. So also, if you're looking to uh, get fit this year in 2021, we're almost a month in, uh, I would love to talk with you. I got some resources that you can use to help you get into the shape that you want to be in. And I want to talk to you about it. Coach Evan66 at gmail.com. Without further ado, here is my interview with uh, Matt Carroll. Okay, so joining now for Talking Sports with, with Evan is Matt Carroll from Reviewing the Brew, part of Fanside. And I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with me here tonight talking uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And I kind of weird looking outside in uh, at least southeastern Wisconsin talking baseball with snowstorms <laughs> coming through, but figure with possibly spring training just down the road uh and i say possibly because obviously with covid don't really know what the plan is for spring training but with that down the road uh season looking like it's going to happen um just kind of want to get some thoughts on the milwaukee brewers 2021 season and just some general thoughts on the you know what happened in 2020 because i know obviously some players didn't play up to their standards for themselves, especially if, who should be a two-time MVP, for example, and Christian Yelich. Uh, so I want to say thanks for uh, coming on. And just before you get going, if you just want to let the listeners know a little bit about you and uh, where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, first off. Um, I write for Reviewing the Brew, like you said, part of the fan-sided network. Um, I co-site uh, expert over there with David Gasper. Um, and the two of us also host a weekly podcast called the Cold Brew Podcast, um, which comes out generally Thursday mornings. Okay. Yeah. So a year ago, and we, we were talking about this before we started recording, a year ago with Brewers on deck previewing the 2020 season. And other than some question marks on pitching, um, what the starting rotation was going to look like, and I guess who was going to play first base and third, um, you know, it was looking like it could be a, you know, pr- a promising season for Milwaukee with uh, some of the bats they had with Yelich and Kane and Garcia and, you know, Braun possible, you know, swan song in Milwaukee. And obviously things changed just a, about 
two months later when everything kind of pretty much shut down and then we get our shortened baseball season. So just kind of your quick observations on your thoughts on 2020, um, you know, things didn't go how we wanted. Like, for example, Christian Yelich didn't play like, as I mentioned, we thought he should play like, it's, you know, MVP level. And just like, like it looked like all of baseball itself, the offense was just lacking. So what are, you, what are your kind of thoughts on 2020? Yeah, I mean, last year was definitely the perfect storm of disappointments. Um, Stearns went into it with a slightly different uh, strategy than he normally does. Um, coming off the offseason, uh, off he you know, ha- kind of had some platoons all over the place, um, went for some of the cheaper contracts, one-year contracts, one-year plus option contracts. Um, and as he will admit, it did not quite turn out the way he had hoped it would. Now, obviously, when you're, like you mentioned, MVP, uh, should have been two-time MVP, uh, doesn't perform up to standards, that doesn't help. When Kesson Hira goes through a sophomore slump, that doesn't help. And when you're starting center fielder, opts out of the season, which he had every right to do, that doesn't help either. So the Brewers had one of the worst offenses in team history, um, one of the worst offenses in the league. Um, That said, the entire NL Central had pretty terrible offenses for the most part last year. Um, That's what leads you to what kind of happened last year. The pitching actually ended up uh, turning in quite the performance, both as the starting group and the bullpen. Um, But the offense was what it was. Still got the Brewers into the playoffs. Uh, First time in franchise history they've ever made it three years in a row. You know, that's an accomplishment despite – the fact that it was expanded playoffs and the Brewers had a losing record, whatever you want to say about that. That's still something we've, you know, never seen. No Brewers fan has ever seen in their lifetime. So, you know, unfortunately things didn't go as well as they could have in that sense. And so now we're reloading for 2021. Yeah. Do you have any, because I know baseball is basically leaving it to, um, the, the local markets and regarding fans and attendance is the last I heard that might've changed. It seems like they change every other day, but it seems like they're going to let the local markets decide, uh, look, the States decide what that's going to look like. Um, I know there's still debates about universal DH again, uh, the seven inning double headers, the start extras on second base. Um, what's in your mind, what is next year in regards to those kinds of things going to look like? Is that, likely happening with the seven inning double headers and the runners starting at second base and extras and um, the extended playoffs, or are they going to kind of go back to what the normal is for baseball? You know, I, I would really love to know an answer to that <laughs> um, as I'm sure all of us would. I had seen a report that it seemed like the seven inning double headers was probably the most likely rule from last year to stay. Um, they like the flexibility that that gives with, you know, the fact that there may be games that get canceled or postponed or whatever again this season. Um, and the seven inning double headers definitely help that. Um, and they liked how that, that kind of kept the game pace moving along for the days that did have double headers. As for everything else, I, I would love for the league to actually, and the players union to actually get that figured out at that this point, teams would love the league to get that figured out. So, yeah. you know, especially national league teams could figure out whether or not they have to, plan for a DH this year. We don't know 
how big roster sizes are going to be. We don't know whether teams are going to have a DH. We don't know for sure whether any of these rules are going to stick. So I, based off of how last year's argument between the Manfred and the players union dragged on for so long, just to get a, the start of a season figured out, I have no clue as to, when this will actually get resolved hopefully sooner rather than later because like i said the brewers among other teams need to know this in order to finalize their rosters yeah i'm sure they'll love to know if they have to find a first base glove for vogelbach mm-hmm. or not or just keep him exactly at H, which i don't know if he even knows how to use a first base glove because i don't know when the last time he played first base for a while i know it's probably been a minute so i know roster sizes are kind of uh, kind of up in the air but in your mind, because, um, well, most of baseball up until recently hasn't really been spending a lot of money. I know there are some moves made today. Mm-hmm. The Brewers seem to be signing players with minor league options or, uh, or minor league contracts or catchers. <laughs> um, what do you think the roster is going to, to look like? Are we going to see some uh, guys like Kane? I've seen his name thrown around as possible trade bait. I've seen Hader everybody's throwing his name around his trade bait. I guess, what do you think the roster is going to look like? Because obviously it's going to be different from last year because there's no, um, um, I, you know, some of these guys that played on the uh, wild card game last year aren't there anymore. Like no mm-hmm. Ryan Braun, uh, Yardley, I don't think with them anymore. Um, Ryan Healy, Hmm. Um, Jed Jerko, like some of these guys are gone. So who do you think is going to make up that uh, opening day roster? You know, prior to today, when I was kind of thinking about this, I, my thought was that we mostly have the roster set, but that the Brewers kind of have uh, probably a smaller signing that they're still planning to make, hopefully at the corner infield. And then all of a sudden today, over the last two days, the Brewers were linked in rumors, to take it for what you will, to Marcelo Zuna, to Marcus Simeon, now he ended up signing with the Blue Jays today, to Justin Turner, apparently they're checking in on, and then Eddie Rosario was the most recent one that uh, um, Robert Murray of Fansided actually said that they were looking into. Those are some guys that prior to today, I would not have thought that they would have had a chance at signing based off of their price tag and based off of where they said the Brewers' payroll might be. So I don't know if they are planning on a trade to free up some payroll, if they're looking at the fact that no one else in the NL Central is doing basically anything and that it's up for grabs and maybe this is the year to kind of stretch things out again. Um, I'm not 100% sure what their direction is, but if you look at the roster, here are the facts. Their outfield is pretty set. You've got Yelich Kane and Abisail Garcia, from left to right, as well as a backup like probably a Billy McKinney or a Tyrone Taylor. You've got your catchers, which are probably going to be Narvaez and Pena once again. And then your infield on in terms of position players, that's really what's kind of up in the air. You've got Vogelbach over at first, Hira at second, uh, Arcia at shortstop, and then some combination probably of either Daniel Robertson or Luis Urias at third. That's not exactly inspiring when it comes to creating an offense. Now, some of these players you're going to have bounce back seasons with, hopefully. Um, 
but that's where we stand kind of as of now. And then you fill that in with some of these other, you know, multifunctional players that the Brewers have. Um, they still need to add at the corners and boy, it'd be great to know if we're going to have this designated hitter or not. If we're not, you may be set at first with a tandem of Vogelbach and someone like potentially Nottingham who does know how to play first. So then you focus on third. If there is a DH, that's Vogelbach and you basically have no first baseman. So it's really important for the Brewers to know what this rule is going to look like. On the pitching side, you're relatively set. They have a number of players who could fill in at starter, led by Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. You have Lynn Bloom coming back, who's still under contract. And then you have a number of players like Eric Lauer, Freddie Peralta, potentially, uh, Adrian Hauser, who will be looking to bounce back, who can fill those final positions. And then the bullpen, led by Devin Williams and Josh Hader, is just set to be amazing once again. They have all kinds of um, bullpen arms coming back that range anywhere from Eric Yardley, who we do still have as a member of the team, to Justin Topa, who kind of came out of nowhere and could contribute as, you know, another one of those young fireballers this year. Pitching is definitely not the problem for the Brewers. It's really that infield and solidifying, you know, where that offense is going to come from. And after a lot of the rumors today, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I was figuring it was going to be a, you know, three, $4 million CJ Crone, Mikhail Franco, Mitch Moreland type contract. But after some of these rumors, you know, maybe Stearns has something else cooking. So the names you mentioned, I know you said one of the guys ended up signing. Um, but are the names you mentioned, uh, Turner, Ozuna, any of them kind of interest you potentially playing on this team or just kind of, you know, why are we talking to them? If I personally like everything I'd heard about the money, all, all of those names surprise me. If, if money weren't an issue, if they have some way of making this work out, the player that I would love to see as a brewer would definitely be Justin Turner. He would fill an absolute need for the brewers. He's a player that somehow just is aging like a fine wine. He just keeps getting better with age. Um, and he's a great clubhouse presence. I think he would be huge personality for the Brewers to have. So if, if any of those players are actually even somewhat of a reality of being in a Brewers uniform next year, Justin Turner would be the one that I would just love to see. Would it be kind of safe to assume that those names are popping up just because of the lack of movement, that the money that the players are demanding might be starting to come down to what the club's willing to offer? It could be. Um, it could just be Stearns doing his homework. I mean, he checks in on as many players as he possibly can, especially players that are a potential fit. Um, and he's made surprising moves in the past, you know, ones that kind of come up out of nowhere. None of us saw the Yelich deal happening. I mean, they had more payroll flexibility at that point, but we definitely didn't consider that being an option as fans. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that one works um, or what's causing uh, the Brewers' names to get mentioned in some of these rumors. But, I mean, they're being mentioned by, you know, these legitimate uh, journalists. And so, you know, clearly there's something to these rumors. Um, I, what's causing it? <laughs> you got me because I certainly didn't expect these. So, you know, the NL Central, the other teams in the division seem to be wanting to shed money, shed players, 
Um, the Reds and Cubs seem to be fire sailing, uh, cutting payroll, especially with the Reds looking like they're going all in last year. And then the Pirates are looking like they want to field a single A team. And the Cardinals, well, they always seem to stay under the radar. Where do you see that division going? Do the Brewers have enough right now, do you think, to uh, make that playoffs for the fourth time in a row? I think the Brewers, right as they stand right now, it would be really tough unless they get some bounce backs from some of these key players, like we mentioned earlier, like Yelich, like Hira, um, like Omar Narvaez. Um, they do have the return of uh, Lorenzo Kane, so that'll obviously help as well. But a lot of things would have to go right with their current roster to do that. I do think that if they if they just go and add just a couple extra pieces on offense, combine that with the returning pitching, which should be solid once again. They have as good a chance as any team of being able to make a run for a fourth straight playoff appearance. Um, like you said, the Reds are, they're selling off players after a couple of years of kind of going all in the pirates are the pirates. Um, the Cubs might not have a starting rotation left. They've gotten rid of almost all their starters from last year. You and I can um, always try out, I guess. What's that? You and I, you and I can always try out, I guess. I right. Well, for the, for the brewers, not for Chicago. Nothing. A few uh, hangers to yell at and get it back on track. That's the, oh, that's a good <laughs> point. That's uh, working from within the system. I like that. Um, but I mean, they're also not against selling off some more of their offensive players. Um, and the Cardinals have stood, stood pat. They're good every year. Um, they could potentially make a move or two. I think they'll be competitive once again. Um, but there's a good chance if the Brewers just add a couple pieces that it's a St. Louis Milwaukee fight for the top of the NL Central. Yeah, could 81 or 82 wins win this division, you think, the way it's shaping up right now? I mean, we've mentioned on our podcast, David and I on the Cold Brew podcast, that the NL Central could be the essentially baseball equivalent to the NFC East. Um, so I honestly would not be surprised. 81-82 is, is low for any division, but – I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. Someone in that division, though, is going to end up having to beat up quite a bit on all the other teams. And so that may push them into the more the mid-80s. Um, but you never know. I mean, it could be we're going into the final month of the season, and that's exactly what you've got a couple, you know, 500 to barely above 500 teams that are just one needs to separate from the pack. So final question, Josh Hader. He mm -hmm. was talked about at the trade deadline last year. He'd been talked about at the winter meetings this year, talked about once again now um, if he's going to be moved or not. So does he get moved and, and when, or do they keep him and Devin Williams, uh, your, your closer set up and try to see how far they can take it? I felt during a good portion of the off season that he was set to be traded. Um, and then that didn't end up happening. And then he, you know, went to almost arbitration. They did end up uh, coming to a deal before it got to the ugly parts. He ended up making 6.675 um, in this year. And so he got his money this year. Um, I think he, unless the brewers just tank and they end up kind of selling off, I do think he will be a brewer for this season. After this season, you know, they're going to be just, the same old conversations. Um, he's going to eventually be too expensive for a small market team like Milwaukee. You know, 
are they going to trade him? These same questions are going to come up next offseason. But at this point, I, I feel like he is going to be a brewer for 2021 unless everything goes wrong and you see the brewers in fourth place, fifth place, or something like that getting close to the trade deadline. That is the one situation where I feel he might be on the move. Now, that said, you never know. There was a report coming out today um, that the Brewers are still, or Stern still is listening for offers on Hater, but that his asking price is still, quote unquote, astronomical, as it should be. So things could happen. They're still listening, but I just, I, now that we're this close to the season, I think he's a Brewer. And you know what? I'm good with that. I am perfectly fine watching another year of him throwing fireballs. Yeah. And I, I was possibly leaning on the, he's possibly being traded wire until they move to Nable. As soon as mm-hmm. they kind of move to Nable and like, I don't think they get rid of both of them in the same offseason. I think right. uh, they decided which one they wanted to move. And I think what, like you said, if they are kind of, tanking snake bit and going downhill of 2013 type season I think then mm-hmm. they probably consider it so yeah um but want to say thank you for spending some time uh talking some Brewers baseball even if there's like 10 feet of snow or whatever amount we finally <laughs> got in Wisconsin um one last time if you want to let listeners know where they can find your stuff absolutely um you can find me as well as a bunch of our other great contributors over at reviewing the brew uh, part of the fan sided network. Um, you can also catch uh, myself and fellow site editor David Gasper uh, on our weekly podcast, The Cold Brew Podcast, which you can find on pretty much all of your streaming networks. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we can get together again once the season starts to talk more brewers. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Once again, I want to say a thank you for Matt Carroll for coming on and spending some time here today talking Milwaukee Brewers. It was a great talking to him and uh, getting some insight on what the 2021 Milwaukee Brewers could look like. Um, kind of a, you know, a good start to the show before I go into uh, what I'd yeah, rather not get into, rather not have to talk about, but being a... <clears throat> a Wisconsin sports-themed podcast, I, I can't get away from not talking about the Packers and Tampa Bay. The Packers lost to Tampa Bay on Sunday, final score of 31-26. to And just want to kind of give some quick thoughts on the game. I'm not going to go into too much detail breaking it down, um, but just some quick thoughts on the game. <clears throat> some observations that I made, um, some thoughts that I have, and whatnot. So, it came down to, especially early in the game, first half especially, um, and the beginning of the second half, it came down to Murphy's Law. What could go wrong went wrong. Um, uncharacteristic mistakes by the Packers, uh, changing of the the not sticking to what's gotten them to this point as a number one offense in the NFL, not capitalizing on mistakes that were made, a la Tom Brady throwing three interceptions, and just piss-poor situational, I guess, defense, you could say. Um, Tampa Bay was quite successful on third downs, especially early. Tampa Bay finished the game 9-14 of on third downs, 1-1 of one on fourth down. 
and there was one point where they converted, I want to say four or five third downs in a row. Either way, they, they converted a lot of third downs in a row. And that's ultimately what led to Tampa Bay's um, first two scores. Packers couldn't get off the field on third down. They would stop them for a third and long and give up a big play. Stop them for a third and short, give up a big play. They just couldn't get off the field early on from time to time, especially those first couple of drives. And that's an area where the Packers have done pretty well in. The other area where they did pretty well in for most of the season, except when they played Tampa Bay earlier in the year, was protecting Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers got sacked and pressured a ton in this game. He got five, five sacks total. And last time he played Tampa Bay, I think he had five. He got sacked five times as well. But multiple pressure. The Packers threw the ball 48 times. Again, uncharacteristic of Green Bay. And Rodgers got pressured on over 20 of those dropbacks. Things that the Packers did well throughout the season. Aaron Jones had six carries. Uh, Jamal Williams, seven carries. A.J. Dillon, three carries. So 16 carries in the run game. Where they typically average over 20 carries between the three backs. Uh, Typically, I should say between the two backs. But Dillon um, probably should have got a few more carries than Dillon. Jones got hurt in the game, which obviously was unfortunate. He got hurt on a fumble that set up the touchdown to make it 28-10, to um, 10, which was Tampa Bay's final touchdown of the game. Um, held Tampa Bay to just one field goal besides that. So the defense did what they needed to do in the second half. They forced turnovers, but the Packers didn't capitalize off turnovers. So, that, again, that's another uncharacteristic element of the Packers. So typically, when the defense forced turnovers, they would basically, they would then capitalize off of it. And they didn't. Six pass plays, and six straight pass plays, I should say, and punts. So they, the first interception they had by Adrian Amos, they, they returned, uh, they ended up scoring a touchdown on and a drop two-point conversion, unfortunately. I do like EQ, but that was... Uh, unacceptable situation. Um, they The other two interceptions by Alexander, um, which was great to see, shut down guy. Um, he had two interceptions, and that's where they had six straight passes and had the punt twice. Very uncharacteristic of Green Bay. And the thing that's really uncharacteristic is the Packers faced during the regular season and the win over um, the Rams, Los Angeles Rams, the Packers faced everything out of the run game. Everything, the passing game was crucial with the run game. And they mixed and matched them pretty well. And your runs looked like... um, your your run your runs look like they could be a pass, your passes look like they could be a run. All the actions look the same, and that's how they were able to like get the ball and spread it out and make big chunk plays and whatnot. 
they didn't run the ball much, especially in the run zone or the gold zone that the Packers caught, where the gold zone was full as gold on Sunday for Green Bay. There was one point where they threw the ball six straight times, I believe, in the red zone, and they had to settle for field goals, one of which, and I talked about uncharacteristic, Devontae Adams dropped the pass that 10 times out of, uh, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, he catches the back shoulder pass. Not sure what happened. Um, so a lot of things went into this Packer loss. A lot of things. Some you could say were ticky-tacky, caused by the officials or them not not calling enough because there were some holds that Tampa Bay got away with, some holds that Green Bay got away with, some pass interferences that Tampa Bay got away with, and a pass interference that they didn't get away with for, for, for the uh, Packers. And a, a face mask that Tampa Bay clearly got away with on the Packers opening drive. It was second down, pass to Aaron Jones in the flat, and White pulls him, yanks him by his face mask to hold him up and then eventually tackle him. If that gets caught, first and 10, 15 yard penalty, and Packers are on their way to potentially score. It doesn't get caught, third and eight comes up, and Rodgers gets sacked on third down forced to punt. So there's blame to go all the way around. And the elephant in the room, which I haven't mentioned yet, Kevin King, Will Redman, Mike Patton, Chandler Sullivan. I love Chandler Sullivan. He didn't play a strong game. Will he come back better? Hopefully. He's definitely a guy who I enjoy. He busts his butt. He's a hard worker. Unfortunately, he had a few hiccup moments. Kevin King gives up the opening touchdown to Tampa Bay. Perfect coverage for the most part. He was right there. But for some reason, he started to jump about five yards too soon and was unable to break up the pass and ended up being a touchdown. Then right before halftime, that was a a bad sequence all the way around because remember I mentioned a no call on pass interference. Uh, second down, I want to say, or was it third down? Might have been third down. Rodgers throws it to Lazard, and the corner yanks the shoulder pad, uses it to be able to get inside leverage on Lazard, and intercepts the ball. No penalty cost. To me, that's textbook pass interference. You, you yanked him, interfered with the route, and used it to gain position. Again, textbook interference, not called. They get the interception on third down. Packers drop an interception. Well, Redmond goes right through his hands, which... Why do you sign Tremont Williams and not play him at all? If Tremont Williams was in that... And I know Redmond busted his butt all season long, blah, 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 to earn that right. But... If you want to win, you got to go with... Your, your, your guys like Tremont Williams, guys you know who would make that play. If that ball is have, have, uh, going towards Tremont Williams' hands, he's intercepting that. He is. And the reason why that became a big deal, because the very next play, fourth down, the Packers go for some reason, man coverage, and trying to protect the middle of the field instead of protecting the sidelines leaving Kevin King one-on-one with Scotty Miller, 
which Kevin King is, has some blame on this, as he has one job, don't let the guy behind you. And he did. And I, I've been a King supporter, apologist um, for a while, but that's inexcusable. Like, I, I can understand the mistimed jump. It's, it, it happens sometimes. But with eight seconds to go in the half, you cannot let that guy get behind you. And unfortunately, he got behind King, and there was no safety help. There was nobody else anywhere near the end zone to help support King. And Miller catches a touchdown to make it 21-10, which it looked like it was going to be a 14-13, 17-14 game going into the locker room. Turned out to be a 21-10 deficit. And then you had the Aaron Jones fumble which was returned inside the five and then a touchdown pass right after that. And you, you had guys for Green Bay who have made plays for you all season long not be able to make plays that they made routinely the entire season. Adams dropping the end zone would have been a touchdown. Rodgers being late with the throw to Adams in the back of the end zone on third down, which would have been a touchdown. Um, Alan Lazar not... Uh, running the, the RPO right, and Rodgers missing him, which would have been a touchdown. Um, Rodgers not trying to take off to score a touchdown, and Aaron Jones is fumbles. He's lost four fumbles in his entire career, if I'm not mistaken, before Sunday, and he had two fumbles and lost one. So uncharacteristic mistakes by your horses that got you to this point. That's ultimately why they lost. Now, next week, I'm going to, as as long as well as preview the Super Bowl, I'm going to go over the roster, the free agents, the people I think will be gone, um, people I think will be back, go over the the uh, the current roster, guys I think will be released, guys I think that they will keep. Um, but Packers have a lot of work to do now with the fact that, unfortunately, for the Packers, they uh they are pretty much salary cap strapped, don't have a lot of money to spend, and they have to uh, reshape this roster a little bit to try to make another run um, to the NFC Championship game and hopefully the Super Bowl. They just have a lot of a lot of work they got to do, and it'd be interesting to see what the Packers do. And next week's show, I'm going to uh, kind of break down what I think they're going to do. And uh, we may have seen the last of some of these guys. Uh, some of them I hope not, but some of them we may have seen the last of some of these guys. And we will uh, see what happens. So make sure to especially make sure to stay tuned for that episode. So, um, so the other Packer news, the special teams coordinator has been let go, um, which is a good thing for the fact that special teams has been god-awful in Green Bay, and it's been god-awful for a while in Green Bay, so I'm kind of fortunate to see the, uh, the the special teams coordinator go, and now I hope Mike Pettin gets let go, and I'm not usually blame the coach, point the finger at the coach, it's the coach's fault kind of guy. I typically, you know, I look at, you know, it's typically... Things that happen on the field. It's personnel issues typically. Guys don't do the right thing on certain on certain um, coverages or, or plays, and somebody you know maybe takes the wrong gap up front, uh, whatever. But the thing is, 
it's up to the coaches. It's up to the coaches to watch the film, to correct it, and make sure it doesn't happen again. But unfortunately, this season, too often, I saw the same mistakes happen over and over again, and corrections weren't made. And that falls on coaches. So I think they need a new voice in, I don't know who that voice is, but I think they need a new voice in Green Bay and on the defensive side. It looked like LaFleur was going to make that change last year, but it sounded like he got talked out of it. It sounds like Petten's, uh, Petten's uh, contract has expired. Um, hopefully they don't renew it, and they move on and try to get a let LaFleur hire his guy. You know, we've seen what LaFleur has done with the offense. He's made correct coaching choices on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive line coach has been outstanding. Nathaniel Hackett has been outstanding. So let him make his choice on defensive coordinator now. There's no reason not to. So let him bring in his guy and see what happens on defense. See if they can improve. See if it is a coaching thing or is it a personnel thing. But... Newsflash, they've spent a lot of money on the defensive side of the ball. And, yeah. So, we'll see what what transpires this offseason. I'll get more into that in detail next week. But I just kind of wanted to give some... Uh, I just wanted to get some conversation going about the game and recapping it. And some quick around the NFL news. And I'm going to talk... Uh, Coaching decisions next week, as hopefully all the coaching jobs are filled by next week, so I can uh, so I can uh, talk about uh, hits and misses there. But in NFL news, and it's very disturbing news, Chad Wheeler, now former offensive line lineman of the Seattle Seahawks, he uh, he got arrested. He got arrested for um, got arrested for domestic assault, and it's hard for me to say because it's, it's just sickening. He nearly killed this woman. Um, fortunately, Seattle released him immediately. He's stepping away from football as he should never play in the NFL again. He's blaming it on a uh, bipolar episode, um, got manic and whatnot. But at the end of the day. He's an adult. It's his job to manage his disease. It's his job to manage his medication. And I just don't really feel that it's acceptable to blame bipolar disorder on the decisions that he unfortunately made, which was ultimately nearly killing his girlfriend. He shouldn't play football again. He should go to prison. Um... He should spend time in prison. And the NFL has an opportunity here that if for some reason he does, quote, get off, if he does get off for whatever reason, um, he, the NFL needs to make the statement right now and say, no, you can't play in this sport anymore. This is a privilege that you get to put on this uniform week in and week out, and this is unacceptable. We can't have this and ban him from the game. And you know what the NFL is going to do, unfortunately. They're going to suspend him indefinitely 
pending their investigation of their um, whatever player personnel conduct code, they're going to then determine, well, you're going to be suspended for six games this season or eight games this season. It'll then be appealed, and then it'll be switched to a four-game suspension, and you know dang well, you know damn well, one of the usual suspects of the NFL, and you know who I'm talking about, Raiders, Cowboys, Washington, one of the usual suspects will sign him, and he'll be able to play football again. Because we've seen the, the NFL go through this before. Player gets accused of domestic assault. It seems pretty substantial. It seems pretty likely that it happened. In this case, it's, it's very... It, 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 he practically admitted it on Twitter um, that it transpired. Now, he kind of tried downplaying it that an incident between him and his girlfriend happened rather than he assaulted his girlfriend. Um... And it's unfortunate that he'll eventually end up probably playing in the NFL again. And that's where the NFL needs to correct itself. There's no way this guy should play football again. But we've seen it with, I forget the guy's name, uh, from the, the Panthers, who threw his girlfriend on a couch that had guns on it. Um, he got to play for the Cowboys again. You know, we've just seen it over and over again. So we'll see. We, I hope and pray that the legal system runs its course and this guy gets sent to prison. But if not, I hope the NFL says, we don't want you anywhere near our league right now as it is a, a privilege to play in the National Football League. So that's my thought there. I would go into... I would go into the... Aaron Rodgers situation and whatnot, but I'm not. And why? Because I think too much of it's being over. It's being overblown. Comments that he made. He said some comments in the heat of the moment. He he said some comments in the heat of the moment, and people ran with it. And now then it got rumors that he was demanding to renegotiate his contract because he wanted more money. Blah blah blah. Well, Rogers addressed it yesterday on uh, on uh, Pat McAfee's show on his Tuesdays with Pat. He uh, he addressed it there and basically said he 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 was emotional. It was 15 minutes after the game. He just got done crying with his teammates. He was emotional, which is to be expected, and he let his emotions get the best of him. And he he doesn't want to go anywhere. Packers don't want him to go anywhere. And he will be the starting quarterback for the Packers next year. The only way he's not is if he retires. Packers can't, they don't have the, the resources to be able to, re, to get rid of him anyway, even if they wanted to. So with that said, a big thank you once again to Matt Carroll for coming on the show and talking some brewers with me. I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate you all for spending some time listening to the talking sports with Evan. Please, uh, share the show and rate the show and uh, let me know what you think. Um, talking sports with Evan at gmail.com is the email to talk to me. Otherwise you can find me on Twitter, Evan with sports or on Facebook talking sports with Evan. Talk to you all later.